Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 40 of Vague Zone. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. And we are right now, we are running through the Vengeance Trilogy. We are going through Park Chan-wook's lightly connected themed films about revenge. And we've done Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. We've done Nobody. And this week we are doing 2003's <laughs> Old Boy. So, Daniel, would you like to read us this, the IMDb that... synopsis? <laughs> That kind of makes it sound like nobody is part of the Vengeance trilogy. <laughs> Sorry. We did a series detour where uh, Daniel's choice was nobody. So that was his yeah. uh, revenge-themed his revenge -themed choice. Nobody is and... not a Korean revenge film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are returning For to the Park Chan-wook uh, Vengeance trilogy with Old Boy. Um, so synopsis from IMDb. After being kidnapped and imprisoned for 15 years... Odesu is released only to find that he must find his captor in five days. Thomas, what did you think of Old Boy? I really enjoyed this on my second watch through. I think I mentioned on this show before that I had heard about Old Boy in high school and I remember there was a lot of hype surrounding this movie around you know, 2003, 2004. And it wasn't until years later that I was able to see the film and I felt a little underwhelmed while watching it because of just all of the hype surrounding it, but I feel like with some time has passed and I've seen a lot of movies since then. And yeah, I, I think this movie holds up a lot. It's a, a very particular vision. It's very excruciating and there's a lot of sorrow in this film. And as far as revenge movies go, it's it's not clean cut. It's like, it's not a black and white thing for Park Chan-wook. And I, I, you mentioned in this a uh, few episodes ago, you were questioning, like, what has Park Chan-wook sort of gone through? And, yeah. like, what is his history about? Like, how could that sort of help like, help us figure out what's going on with the psychology in these movies? And I, I did some research, so I, I, okay, I, I cool. will mention that a little bit in the episode. But but simply, upon rewatch, I really enjoyed this movie. It's, it's certainly a very heavy, particular movie. But, yeah, it, it, it's really gripping, and it's really gorgeously shot. And there's a lot to like. There's a lot of really fantastic details in it. Yeah, if you could just get past the some of the really dark, morbid subject matter that happens to these characters, it's there's a lot to really love about this. What did you think about it? Um, so yeah, just like you, this is the second time I've seen this movie. Uh, first time I saw it was actually in high school. I watched it with a buddy of mine, Francis, and uh, I feel like it's gonna be hard to talk about this without spoilers. But I, I think mm. I think we can do quite a bit before we get there. But um, yeah, I will say that back in the day when I watched this, um, there's like a, a certain heavy moment that occurs in this movie where my friend made a joke and it really undercut it. And so <laughs> oh, like no. the weight of of the ending uh, did not land for me back in the day. Um, so it's it's that's a different kind of spoiler. Uh, but um, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. So watching it this time around because the movie is kind of a it's a mystery it's this man who's on a quest to figure out like who's doing this to him and why um you appreciate the craftsmanship way more on rewatch um mm -hmm. being able to look into the clues and how they're sort of um uh, gosh what's the foreshadowing all of what will take place over the course of the movie and uh sort of the the way there's like thematic echoes throughout the film and stuff like that um, it's way easier yeah. to appreciate that stuff. And um, so, yeah, on a rewatch, I, I really dig this movie. Um, it wasn't my favorite of the Vengeance trilogy back in the day, but now I'm I, I, I think I like this more than Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Um, 
something for Mr. Okay. Vengeance is just kind of destroying you uh, consistently. Things are getting worse and worse. Uh, but this one with its mystery component, it it's really compelling. It's it's sucking you into the world and pushing you forward. It doesn't feel like you're a slinky going down each step and hitting your head repeatedly on the way down the way sympathy <laughs> for Mr. Vengeance does. This is more That's a beautiful metaphor. I like <laughs> this, that a lot. This is just uh you know, you're right there with the character wanting to figure out what the fuck is going on, um, which is really fun. I think another thing that really helped with my uh, appreciation of this movie is that uh, Spike Lee's remake is on the Roku channel, so it's free to stream. And I oh, watched, really? I, I got about 15 minutes into that movie before I turned <laughs> it off. because. Oh, uh, but it, it it really makes you appreciate like how, how good Park Chan-wook is at telling this story and how economical he is with telling you who these characters are and telling you what is important at any given moment. And yeah. Um, yeah, man, I dig it. Yeah. I, I was really overwhelmed with just the details in this movie. Like just the, the skin on the knuckles, just him punching yeah. the wall and just, yeah, everything about him being in prison was just extremely effective. Him seeing just the passage of time and, presidents getting elected and the towers falling and that just is like, such a good moment yeah, yeah. That, like that entire sequence really really resonated with me a lot on this watch but before we dive into the movie i just want to briefly mention some of the things i looked up on wikipedia to help sort of just fill in the color a little bit on a little south korean history so Park Chan-wook was born in 1963 and i think that's particularly important because during that time he was basically born into a dictatorship. He was born like right after a coup d'etat. It was like uh, start of the second regime. I might get the regime numbers mixed up, but I looked up this all on Wikipedia and I feel like it helped give a little bit of context for just the psychology of this person growing up yeah. because by the time he's 17, he's seen an assassination. He's seen multiple coup d'etats. And then there's this thing called the Gwangju uprising that happens when he's 17 where the government basically killed and like massacred 600 people and there was like a student uprising and there's a lot of political strife going on in the region of south korea and basically like i think that just helps give a little bit of color on you know when you're a young person you're growing up and in, in, like not necessarily an unstable country like this dictator showed up and things actually started doing great economically before this dude arrived like their won was like lost half its value the economy was like struggling but then this person shows up and then the economy is flourishing, but that's happening at the cost of, you know, him doing things in secret and in his, uh, make, passing legislation to have um, extra terms behind closed doors. So, you know, it's like shady things are happening, but like the economy is flourishing. And then that all sort of crumbles again around the time he's like 17 or 18. And then after that, the economy sort of just blows up again and, and there's even more money and technology in the region. And I don't know, there's, there seems to be like instability there but also just yeah when you grow up you know and you're living in a dictatorship and then you live through two coup d'etats and assassination i think that yeah you're not going you're not going to be making you know romantic comedies when you're <laughs> yeah, living, it's not gonna when be living through that <laughs> yeah yeah it's certainly not going to be soft and actually it made me think of uh, I'm forgetting his name forgetting his name but the director of the host and so it's like yeah we, like you're going to get Bong like a jaws yeah, Bong Joon-ho, it's like, you're going to get, like, a Jaws, but it's going to be, a, like, a fucked-up version of that a little bit. So I thought that just helped color in the, the lines a little bit. How old is... Now I, need, now I need to know, how old is Bong Joon-ho? Because... 
his uh his work deals a lot with like class. So Bong Joon Ho is fifty one, born in sixty nine. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of issues going on with just like the rich getting richer and the rural class sort of getting left behind. And as like the everything is accelerating with technology and you know, I think those those things are incredibly influential and just to have multiple force regime chains changes throughout your childhood, I think that sort of will will leave an impression on the the filmmaker that you eventually become. It's interesting because there's definitely so we've watched two of these movies now, and there is some sort of element of class in each of them. Uh, the first with you know a guy who can't afford uh, a medical procedure for his sister, resorting to kidnapping the daughter of a wealthy man, um, and then in this one we have. Um, I don't. I don't think this is a spoiler because we're not saying who the villain is, but the villain is a very wealthy man who uh, comes from inherited wealth. Yeah, and our hero is kind of just a fucking uh, loser, <laughs> drunk yeah. who just seems to be sort of a, a working man. A, you know, that's the vibe we get. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, let's uh, hop into it. I, I think this the way this movie is sort of just presented is really interesting because. Yeah, it starts off with a very. It starts off like in the present, and then we flash back very quickly. Yeah, there's a little bit of a framing device here. Yeah, yeah, the framing is really interesting because yeah, we start off with like our, our lead Ode Su. He's like holding a, a man off of a, like off of a roof by the tie, and yeah, it's like this really great shot from like yeah, you're just looking from the tie up, and his his head is like eclipsing the sun, and then yeah, we. We jump back to him just like drunkenly inside of a police station. And remember the first time I saw that, like I didn't know what, I, like I did not know how to process that. So I was like, "Is this supposed to be funny?" And I just, uh, th- th- what did you think about that moment the first time? So, you saw it? so rewinding to the beginning, when he's dangling this man off of a ledge, did you think mm. he was the aggressor in that moment? Yes, initially, yes, because the way that his his face is selling it is very cold, very detached, like he's about to drop this guy off the the roof Batman style. Yeah, it feels like it's one of those interrogation moments or something like that, Mm -hmm. which later we learn is not the case. Um, But yeah, when we cut to um, the inside of the police station, yeah, it had been so long since I'd seen this movie, I completely forgot this. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, it feels like it feels a little much for me, the him trying to go back to pee in the corner multiple times. <laughs> but uh, but it, it just does a great job of selling you on the idea that this guy's a, an alcoholic loser. Um, he's a screw. Yeah. And this is this is going to be our, what what I called a hero earlier, our protagonist, I guess. Not necessarily our, yeah. our hero. But um, yeah, it's an interesting Correct. way of, of portraying this character and being like, this is who you're going to be stuck with. Yeah, and I love the escalation is brilliant because he goes from causing a ruckus and like peeing in the corner, and it builds up, and then it just cuts to him just being handcuffed to the walls. It's like yeah. okay, like and we get like that done. strange moment of he's sitting alongside three other men who are all staring directly at the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I like that, but then yeah, very quickly after that, it's like he gets picked up by his friend. It's storming outside. And yeah, he's at the phone booth. I I love the moment when the the titles are very easily trickling in like yeah. neon lights. I love that moment. Then yeah, the next thing you know, he's gone, and then we just cut to him being fed inside the door with the latch at the like you know basically like a dog door at the bottom of this door, and he's just like scratching and screaming at this dude, just like how many months, how long, and then yeah, it, it, it hits you that he's been in there. He will have sorry, it hits you that. 
he will be in there for 15 years and he, yeah we're in the process of him finding that out and so so i think it's one really smart the way that plays out because first you see him groveling he's on the ground uh begging his captor who is only represented by a foot like how long mm-hmm. am i going to be in here like please just tell me how long and he keeps going back and forth between like begging and being aggressive um mm-hmm. but i think it's really smart that we don't know where he is like you might assume that he's in an actual prison because we just saw him at a police station but then we cut to the inside and it looks it's a refurbished hotel room yeah it's yeah going from like the really dingy almost like eli roth saw looking hallway not eli roth but like <laughs> totally not saw but yeah the very dingy <laughs> yeah, green the looking hallway <laughs> the hostel yeah the hostel looking hallway into this like manicured like prison cell inside where he has like wallpaper and a painting in a bed yeah. and it's like oh like, that's, and like what it's a painting it is <laughs> yeah very what did you intense. think of that painting what? Uh, super hardcore. It reminded me. I've been talking to Max Fox. So it reminded me of Sean Blau a little bit because I know he did some some work when we were at SF State. Just like yeah, it's very intense paintings, and I was like, yeah, this is just like going further down that line of this is just the most fucked up portrait you can have. Into into pair it with someone who's in the captivity is even darker because he he. There's a line where he's like the face gets more ripped up or more tattered as time was going on, hmm. and so like the face in the picture is getting more. Like def- deformed, well, he, he develops heavily. wrinkles. Sh- he says very quickly. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's what that's what it is. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, all that stuff is uh, super intense. But yeah, so we we come to find out that he's been in here for fifteen years, and he has a line at one point, I think, in his voiceover where he says, "Would it have been better to know uh, if it had been fifteen years, if it was going to be fifteen years or not?" Mm-hmm. And how, what do you think of that? <laughs> Like, would you? Would it be better for you to know if you were going to be trapped for fifteen years, or would you not want to know? That's a really good question. Is is this is this movie ponders that by saying, yeah, it's like it. It probably would be better to know because it would be like, okay, there's going to be at least there's time, an end point. Yeah, as we, yeah, but then we later find out that like that idea is is sort of an illusion. It's sort of like he's still in sort of this trap, even though he yeah. gets out of this physical trap. And he so moves into a bigger, yeah. Prison. Like, I don't know. Just, yeah. He moves into a bigger person. I think knowing it helps a little bit, but I don't know. Just th- watching this movie, it, it, it feels like it would, but not that much because the circumstances wouldn't be in my control. And I think that, that would be the big thing. And yeah, just, if I'm just <laughs> thinking particularly how this person experiences it. Yeah, it's like I'm getting gassed and shit. So it's like I'm like my memory is going to be drifting along with that too. So I think yeah, that would be. I I, I, w- I would like to know, but I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it wouldn't be helpful <laughs> if that's a good answer. Because it's like at what point, like when you do know, are you just waiting for it to end? And does that yeah, help yeah. you focus, or does that make it harder to just let go and to just live in the space the way? He- yeah, I. Not knowing that sounds like true hell, and it does. Yeah, I was yeah. even reading. <laughs> it sounds Asada pretty Shik- rough. Yeah, I was. I was reading. Yeah, I was reading Asada Shakur's autobiography, and yeah, she's talking about being held captive in New Jersey after being accused of shooting a New Jersey state state trooper, and it's like, yeah, like in those first periods of like those couple of days, one, she didn't know what was wrong with her, and number two, she didn't yeah. know when it was going to end, and so like being suspended in that sounds so like. Long. P- yeah, that sounds like pure hell. So yeah. this movie t- 
turns that to the full fucking turns that dial all the way to the end because yeah, it's 15 years and I remember when I first started that it was pretty kind of like blew me away and yeah his the, the cut to him just like with that really cracked open smile and just like you can just yeah no just like that kind of reflecting his face, the painting every time yeah 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 um yeah and there's that quote on the painting when you laugh the world laughs with you when you weep you weep alone which is sort of a recurring element in the movie um and i'm still i'm still not fully sure what to make of that element um but yeah maybe we'll get into that a little later but yeah yeah he's he's in this place for 15 years (laughs) um He's like getting ready to escape. He he gets an extra chopstick from the place where his food is being served. He eats dumplings every day for every meal. He accidentally gets three chopsticks, and so he keeps one of them and he uses it to uh, sort of carve his way out of out of his prison. And one month before he is able to escape, he actually gets let go and he ends up on a grassy rooftop with. And this is where we conclude our framing device, where this man who is holding a dog uh, is ready to kill himself. And this man with the dog, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, the disabled man, where it's like, it, it just feels like kind of a strange character inclusion, because I, I'm not fully sh- sure what to make of the addition of this character to the movie. Um true does it feel superfluous um i i feel like here i, I feel like it, it, it's less of a big deal here because the character is more minor in this movie um and also because i think the interactions between um odesu and um and this man is that it, it sort of reiterates that odesu is still an asshole even after 15 years because we get we get odesu telling the man like oh let me tell you my story he tells him his story, and then we get this nice comedic moment where the man is like, okay, well, now I will tell you my story, and then Odesu just walks away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, and then the man kills himself. Um, so it is like Odesu, it, 15 years? No, he's still an asshole. Uh, that, that part yeah. hasn't changed. Yeah, and, and the way that that's presented is really nice, because yeah, he's having this conversation, then he gets into the elevator and works his way down, and yeah, he's walking away from the building, and the guy just falls yeah. on the car. Which was like, like, how did they do that stunt? Uh, it looks really yeah. great. Um, I like the audio is obviously doing a bit to sell it, but yeah, it looks great. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things in this movie where I'm like, yeah, I'm like, how did they pull that off? There's like some really good like visuals in this. Um, yeah, like the the train transition that happens a little bit later. I I'm like obsessed with that one. It's just when they're having the oh, conversation yeah, with I, Mito inside. Yeah. I rewound and rewatched that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty nice. But yeah, we gotta talk about this this like hallway scene, this iconic. Of course, hallway scene. iconic hallway. Does this happen at does this happen after well, he initially has the sushi meeting? Yeah. Before that is the iconic octopus scene. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, yeah. This the greatest meat cute in cinema history. Which like this didn't really I wasn't that shocked or surprised or weirded out by it the first time I saw it. Um, Like, I saw this when I was in high school, like I said, and by then I'd already watched stuff like Solo and Ichi the Killer. Um, So this wasn't too much of a standout moment for me, but um, it is wild, I guess, that he eats a live octopus. And the actor is actually a Buddhist 
and vegetarian, and so he had to eat four over the course of shooting the scene. Whoa, and uh, yeah. and he would like apologize to the octopus and pray afterwards. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, maybe when I first watched it, it probably didn't resonate because I honestly forgot that it was in this movie. But watching it this time, it it really got me. And yeah, just the squirming and the framing of it, like sort of keeping the camera nose and mouth level was really effective and like not seeing a lot of his eyes or the, the top of his face and more focusing on just on the tentacles of the yeah. octopus like wrapping around his hand that that was really effective for me and yeah just cutting back to Mido sort of looking in shock also just you sort of hear the sounds and so yeah I, it's really fucking weird to me like the really interesting part of that scene is just that when he comes in he says I want to eat something that's alive uh-huh like what the fuck is what the fuck does that mean like where is this coming from yeah what is that saying about this character's psychology yeah yeah. i don't know i think when i was watching when i was watching it this time it reminded me a little bit of the action that happens the action of violence that happens at the very end of the movie like the last thing that uh desu sort of endures it remind it felt ceremonial in a, in a way i don't know that's the only word that i was reaching for while watching it something about like ingesting this beast while it's still alive or something about spoilers him you know doing something that felt like seppuku towards the end it just felt like something just something about just ingesting that life and doing it in a way that well it was still crawling it just felt yeah. maybe he wanted yeah. to kill so, something and have it feel very intimate yeah and yeah, it's also implied that he is craving that in a way. Well, not like craving it, but he he like wants to know what his limits are of of like these physical confrontations, I guess. And so he goes to the gang, and he wants to know if this training is mm-hmm. worth something. And he like just beats all these dudes up. And yeah, I, I don't know. If with the eating the octopus alive, it feels something more just like. I want to just test my mortal limits or something something yeah. along those lines. I want to feel something die inside of my mouth. <laughs> like that's pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> um yeah. But yeah, how do we how do we get our way to the the hammer fight? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, we get saying, let's talk about this fucking hammer fight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, we get this nice detective moment of him like we know that he's eaten the same meal every day for 15 years. And so he befriends this uh, sushi chef Mido, mm-hmm. and they go around finding every dumpling place that has the name Blue Dragon because, um, you know, a little bit of the packaging was uh, stuck on his chopsticks or whatever. And mm-hmm. so he goes around eating all of these dumplings, trying to find like that one place that tastes the same as what he ate for fifteen years. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah, it's a really nice, nice moment. And a, a, a little montage of them, yeah, going from different restaurants and crossing the list off in his book and then just throwing up dumplings in the alleyway because yeah. he's just been eating, eating so many. Which is, yeah, just like the, the limits he goes to is really interesting. And yeah, it also is uh, knowing how this movie ends is like the, you have these moments of like sort of romance between or like these like moments where they're sort of bonding together and. And though while watching it, it's like okay, that's that's what I was thinking a lot about this one. Sorry, that's what I was thinking the most during this. This was like okay, like I was thinking more about those romantic moments and how I felt knowing this information before, and it's like okay, like I'm yeah, sort of watching this couple get closer and fall in love, knowing that they're actually related. 
<laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> we, we've spoiler. officially spoiled it. Uh, S- sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, the relationship between Mido and Odesu is that, like, when they meet at the sushi place, she's telling him, you look really familiar to me, and he's saying, you look familiar to me, too. And then it sort of gets explained away with him having seen her on television because he's just been watching TV for 15 years. But we don't get any... There's no explanation for why she might recognize him until the very end of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So that feels like it should be a giveaway. Like, if you've been paying attention, and this, even if this is your first time watching, you should be able to figure it out in that moment. Yeah, and yeah, it starts to feel a little one-sided because, yeah, a lot of the the things, it's like, oh, yeah, it's like uh, Desu is eating this octopus, and it's like he's going on this search, and so inherently it's like, a lot of the thought is like it's like the magician thing with the sleight of hand. It's like a, it's not about what you're looking at; it's about what you're not paying attention to. So yeah, it's like we're sort of putting Mido to the side a little bit, just inherently because we are just sticking with this, you know, with Desu who's been through this hard 15 years. And so I think instinctively I might just sort of pass, like not ignore, but just like let some details pass through the filter a little bit yeah like not pay attention but like once you know it it's just like screaming at you like that is your daughter yeah yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's like damn it um so yeah like he does the, the does the dumpling search and then finds that he, the delivery he like finds a delivery driver yeah, and then he follows chases him on delivery. foot he like yeah. chases which is great yeah it's moment of like the butt like the scooter going by and him just chasing it and then sneaking into the elevator and getting into the hallway with him Yes, and this is when we get our great hammer fight, our our mythical hammer fight. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think like the, I, what I love about this is one that I, I love a fight where everyone is getting exhausted for a very long time. Um, I yeah. like to feel the energy that is being spent during a fight scene. And obviously it's a long take, but one of the things that really surprises me about this or that I really enjoy about the long take is that he gets stabbed in the back at one point and he just has a knife hanging, a knife handle hanging out of his back for like yeah, pretty early the second on half of the fight. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I I love that. I saw a screenshot online the other day and it was the the red dotted line mm, moment yeah. where he's like holding up the hammer and it just like it does a red dotted line from I I don't know what you call that part of the hammer but the the curved the claw part on the yeah the claw of the hammer going to this gentleman's forehead as he's contemplating pulling out this knife and yeah I I like that weird like fourth wall breaking moment almost where it's yeah. just like yeah like <laughs> like our hero is pointing a hammer at a man and he's gonna fuck him up and yeah it just seems like a, a weird beat of dark humor that I yeah. really enjoy. But yeah, also a lot it's of like the that Taran- exists in the fight too. It's like the Tarantino Pulp Fiction, uh, Uma Thurman drawing the square in the air moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 that's true. And also you mentioned, um, fighters in a fight getting exhausted. This is a moment that happens in nobody in the bus in fight the bus, that, yeah. that I appreciate where like he, <laughs> like the exhaustion happens pretty quickly on where it's like, yeah, this is an old guy kind of just fighting five or six guys all in their twenties and thirties, and it's just it's just exhausting. And yeah, the the reverse shot back over his shoulder, you just see the hallway of everyone just panting and like yeah. their bodies on the it's, ground. It's so good. And then yeah, my favorite escalation. He like it smiles as like blood is going down his chest and the doors open. There's there's more even men. More yeah, goon, <laughs> more well, that's why he smiles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love that moment. It's a really good bit of escalation. Did you watch any of the Spike Lee version? 
No, I I've been busy coming back from Los Angeles <laughs> and doing that. But I've been I I think I'm gonna watch it, and I think I'm gonna watch more than 15 minutes of it. Which <laughs> I watched. Yeah, I watched the first 15 minutes, and then I, and I watched this the the hammer fight, his version of the hammer fight, and his version okay, of the hammer fight. It's interesting because so so one, it's not in a hallway. Um, Park Chan Wook is like cheating the camera. He he. They build a set of this this hallway they built half of it so that he can just crack alongside the action it feels like a side-scrolling video game um Mm -hmm. the camera should be moving through rooms in this building but the rooms that exist on the set um what spike lee does is he sets it in a warehouse and there is a chain link fence uh separating one side of the warehouse from the other so the camera is on the opposite side of the chain link fence all the all the camera is happening opposites um and he has like spike lee has a lot of fun with it like they have this fight uh in the warehouse he makes his way downstairs he ends up in another part of the building continues the fight Mm -hmm. um at one point i think he makes his way downstairs again and the camera (laughs) is like looking down upon them so it's like a top-down fight which is really cool okay um that's in the extended version. I think in the version that's actually in theaters, they cut out the top-down perspective. But um, okay. But what I really don't like about the fight is that <laughs> the the sound is really weird. Uh, and I don't know if it was just like a YouTube uh. thing, but like all of the sound effects are really exaggerated. All of the grunts and all of the noises that the fighters are making are really exaggerated. Everything is dialed up. And that's kind mm. of the problem with the like I only watched the first 15 minutes. That's the problem with the first 15 minutes too, is everything is dialed up and exaggerated and over the top. And that's kind of what I appreciate about uh, Park Chan-wook's old boy is that like, it is over the top on paper, but the way it is presented mm-hmm. to you, um, you know, there, there's, uh, it, it can be stylish at moments and there's little flourishes and stuff, but mostly you're there with these characters and like, you kind of get into yeah. the headspace of these characters and it doesn't feel um, excessive. Um, Spike Lee's feels excessive. Um, yeah, and I was, I'm like a pretty big Spike Lee apologist and fan, and I'm like, yeah, like his style is like, yeah, you put a magnifying glass over something, and it's like, we're going to talk about this right here. We're going to shove this into the center of the frame. Like, it's that's sort of his style. And so, yeah. like, yeah, having him do old boy makes no sense <laughs> yeah. at all and so i'm really curious what that product is like it, it sort of ties back to the scene too where i feel like a lot of people are like yeah like this scene is great but i'm like there's so much more about this movie and there's so many dark weird yeah. morbid things about this movie. it is weird that that, that became the moment this... that like people talked about yeah hype is a, a, a really strange thing when it comes to movies and like that's uh, i talked about this with belly yeah like belly is known for the first opening scene, but has yeah. a very contemplative movie. That's the, the entire iceberg of that movie is so much more contemplative than the neon opening nightclub scene. Just like with this, like old boy is so much more than the five minutes of this hallway scene, even though it's a really, really good, good scene. Yeah. I think that's just, we live in the era of which scene is going to get spread around on YouTube, you know? And it's like, you can't yeah. like, even without the context, you could appreciate uh, you know, the choreography, the way it's shot. Um, you can appreciate it as a little piece of filmmaking. And so maybe that's why it has endured as the thing that got that got spread around, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People walked out of the theater. They didn't want to talk about incest. They would rather talk about 
that really cool. <laughs> they didn't want to talk about incest. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about incest anymore. It's a real shame. Uh, unless you're on Pornhub, but then apparently everyone wants to talk about incest. <laughs> Number one genre yeah. worldwide. <laughs> Cross taking the U.S. by storm. Um, so should we? Yeah, I guess should we should probably get into this ending then. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, go ahead, go ahead. Um, yeah, I I think the thing that resonates the most with this is yeah I, the way that it's presented in this like detective story basically towards this the second half of this movie uh Daisu is getting like a lot of pur- purple packages that are like the like sort of clues from the villain but not full on clues and he's sort of piecing together what has happened to uh, this character uh Wu Jin Lee like sort of figuring out why he was captured and that yeah that's the whole thing with this five days it's like he's given five days to figure out not only why he was put in there but also just like yeah i guess yeah the why is the question and so he goes on this journey to sort of find out what happened to him in the past well to wh- find out that his sister the who and the why are his questions but later we get uh well maybe maybe that's okay well I'm already talking about it, so I might as well say. Uh, Wu Jin clarifies that the why I put you there shouldn't be your question. The why I let you out is what you should be contemplating. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Um, yeah. So, it, like, as the audience, we're like, yeah, like, that's what we all want to know. But then it sort of gives us this twist of, like, no, this isn't exactly the solution that is going Like, this solution is going to be something different than what you're looking for. Yeah. So, yeah, the why he put him there is that uh Odesu saw Wu Jin um engaged in an incestual relationship with his own sister and he just in passing this was when they were in high school at, at the old boy academy or whatever <laughs> and so we get the explanation of why this movie is called old boy because after seeing it once long ago I completely forgot and I was like why the fuck is this movie called old boy <laughs> um but yeah back at the old boy school um, Wu Jin was an inc- at the, the, the Evergreen School. <laughs> yeah, Wu Jin was in an incestual relationship with his own sister. They uh, Odesu found that out, and he mentioned it in passing to one person before transferring away. And that one person spread the rumor, and the rumor got so out of hand that it became that um, the sister—I don't remember the sister's name—but uh, Wu Jin's sister became pregnant. And it was a false pregnancy. She 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 wasn't actually pregnant, but she became convinced herself that she was pregnant. And so she commits suicide. And so Wu Jin blames Odesu for his sister's suicide. All these years he's been blaming him. Um, never mind the fact that he was in an incestual relationship with her. Um, perhaps he should share some of that blame. But um, yeah, he he concocts <laughs> this long this long uh, plan to get revenge. Yeah, and it's a pretty devastating plan. Like I, I, I will never get over just how thoroughly decimated and just stripped down Desu is at the end of this movie. And yeah, it, yeah, the way the way it's presented is like, yeah, like he's done something so unforgivable yeah. that like it has shattered uh, Wu Jin's like entire life. But yeah, it, it seems I don't want to say that it's overkill it just seems a little lopsided with the way that just just the way that desu just gets like yeah he just everything the way his world collapses or what do you mean yeah it's like everything about his world is basically taken and stripped down i mean he still has 
like he still has this connection, but the movie is asking whether or not this like what what like sorry this movie's but yeah this movie's sort of pondering like yeah they're gonna have a connection but like it is like what is going to be I don't know the nature of uh, it exactly yes like what is the nature is like like how is this going to is this gonna be sustainable and yeah he meant he he mentions in the line it's like yeah like I was able to live with this information so you're like, saying you're saying Odesu's relationship with Mito or. No, there's well, sorry, there's a yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Odysseus' uh, relationship with Mito. It seems like yeah, like he's left with something, but it's just like his reality is just so shattered that it just seems just yeah, it just seems yeah. really, really excruciating. And yeah, Wu Jin does commit suicide in the in the elevator mm-hmm. on the way down, and I know it just this movie yeah begs the question of like when you're getting ve- ve- revenge, like there's gonna be this zero sum thing where it's yeah. like. You know, Which is what Sympathy what, for Mr. What, vengeance is doing, too. It's like, vengeance is a dish best not served <laughs> because yes, it is going yeah. to be self-destructive. Um, it is a self-destructive path to walk down. Yeah, it just feels like Desu sort of being tricked into falling in love with his own daughter that he's been estranged from. And then like him cutting off his tongue, it just feels so heavy yeah. and cruel and... That's why I compared to seppuku. Seppuku, it just felt like, just like, just so ceremonial in the way that he had to just inflict this pain upon himself. It just feels just yeah. like it just compacted with so much sorrow. It is like I don't know. It just yeah. When he's having Wuj- when yeah. he's begging Wujin like not to let Mito open the package because okay. So because yeah. the way this information is revealed is that Wujin has Odesu open a package. The package contains. Um, you know, a photo album. Earlier in the movie, mm-hmm. it, it is mentioned when uh, Odesu's wife gets murdered that a, a family photo album went missing. Um, so this is the photo album, and it shows mm-hmm. Odesu's three-year-old daughter that he was prepared to give a gift to on her birthday uh, the night at the police station at the beginning of the movie. Um, it shows his three-year-old daughter getting older and older and older until she's 15 years later, 18 years old. And mm-hmm. she is Mito. Uh, he has been fooled into yeah. having sex with his own daughter, and and, and falling in love. And falling in love, like, yeah, like, not just having sex. <laughs> falling yeah, it's in like love. he like falls for yeah, her, like, and she yeah. falls for him. And uh, so Wu Jin ha- ha- is basically threatening Odesu with the possibility of exposing that information to Mito. Also, that she will know that she has had sex with and fallen in love with her father, and I believe it's that she has also lost her virginity to her father because when they do have sex, she's complaining about how painful it is. Um, yeah, yeah, that is a beat, that is mentioned. But, um, so yeah, when, when Wu Jin is uh, threatening him with this revelation to Mido, Mido uh, Odesu is completely falling apart as a person and that is an incredible scene <laughs> because yeah, the performance yeah. is... I, I heard that he was improvising a lot of stuff that like at one point he starts talking about, um, you know, we were old, we, we were old boys together or whatever. We went to oh, old wow. boy Academy yeah. and then he starts singing the song of the school that that was something the actor yeah. just like made up that it was at his actual own song from when he was a student. Jesus. Um, and he, he, he's on the phone with Mito telling her not to open the box and he's begging her and he's calling her sweet pea, which at the very beginning of the movie, when he's, in a phone booth on the phone with his three-year-old daughter on his birthday, he's calling her his sweet pea. 
and yeah. it is just at that point he is no longer her his, her love her lover he is no longer her just like uh, acquaintance accomplice whatever he is her, he is her father and he is treating her as yeah. if he is her father and it is so fucking intense yeah it, it's really just thoroughly devastating and uh, yeah my favorite little portion of that breakdown yeah you mentioned when he is the very beginning of the movie he's like pleading with his like captor he's like like you know and it's sort of mirrored here where he's like pleading with Wu Jin he's like at his ankles and he's like yeah quite literally barking like a dog he's like I'll be your dog like I like I'll be your puppy he's like licking his shoes and yeah just like a lot of just like that process of of what's it called it's like dealing with grief it just gets condensed into those like that, that brief moment where like he like calls him a bastard he like curses yeah, him and then apologizes and instantly yeah. yeah it's like it just goes through like just like those series of grief and it's just super super painful yeah and yeah him yeah face sort of covered in blood and sweat is just very fucking visceral and yeah really really yeah dug that performance yeah it's super fucking heavy and so that is like i said at the beginning uh when I watched this back in high school, my friend made a joke <laughs> or a comment <laughs> that completely like diminished uh, <laughs> the weight of this ending, which was just like, oh, which was basically like, as soon as the reveal happens that like Mito is his daughter, he was like, so wait, this, this was just a prank. <laughs> and like, he was just like laughing. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> he was like, wait, so this guy oh, just pranked no. him into having sex with his own daughter. And he was just like giggling. So that's, that's a... And then we both just started giggling. And then like, so yeah, the, the, the seriousness of this ending was completely lost on us back in the day. That's incredible. <laughs> just as a quick aside, I remember watching Requiem for a Dream freshman year. And you've seen Requiem yeah. for a Dream, right? So the climax of that movie is also a lot of characters getting devastated and going mm-hmm. through really horrible things. And yeah, like I, I definitely had to make some jokes in the climax of that movie just to decompress some <laughs> air out of the room. Because I was just like, this is just, this uh... is like really <laughs> making the Friday night a very heavy, heavy night. And so yeah, like I, I'm not saying your friend should have done that, but I totally understand the mind state of like, oh shit, like this is alarming. And like, I don't know. Was he his first time watching it? <laughs> yeah. I remember when we watched. <laughs> yeah, so <it's> just... <laughs> I remember when you and I watched. Uh, was it. Is it called 13 Assassins? The Takashi Miike movie? Yeah, 13 Assassins. There's a scene. Yeah. yeah. First off, I was stoned out of my mind when we watched that movie. I was so high. Oh, I remember now. <laughs> um, it's all coming back to me. I do not remember much of that movie, but I do remember yeah. um, there's a scene where a woman has her arms and legs cut off and she has yes, her yes. tongue cut out. And um, I just remember, I think I said this out loud. I'm pretty sure I did, which was. How do you direct someone to give that performance? Yeah, that's tough. I remember that moment because, yeah, it's super, super fucking heavy in that particular moment. Yeah, just this woman just being like, this is what the evil in this land has done to me. They've taken the limbs and everything. Yeah, and I was just like, what does the director say to her? (laughs) We need you to come in. We need you to not have any limbs or tongue. Yeah, that's fucking hardcore. So, the finale. Well, I guess this kind of is the finale, but the sort of epilogue moments of this movie. Um, as we've mentioned before, there's, I don't, maybe we didn't mention it before, but there is a hip, hip hypnotist involved uh, when he is held captive. Yes. Um, and 
at the end of the movie, cursed with this knowledge that he is in a romantic relationship with his own daughter, he finds the hypnotist and he has her hypnotize him into believing it, it well into not knowing that mm-hmm. Mito is his daughter. And then him and Mito just move on together. And she tells him that she loves him and him being without a tongue. He just, we get a shot of him smiling and then the smile slowly turns into a frown. And mm-hmm. he's, I, I think he's crying. Um, yeah, he's definitely in pain. What do you make of this ending? It is like a poetic open-ended type of ending. I do appreciate that. Like I say, even though he basically gets everything stripped away from them, there is still life at the end of it. And so there is like a little bit of, I don't know, optimism inherently in just how it's packaged. But yeah, it does feel really surreal. Like I I didn't notice this scene much when I first watched it, but I really enjoyed the moment when he's describing well, sorry, it's the hypnotist or the, the shaman or the, the female character describing how it's going to happen. And then in the movie, we sort of get a representation of that mm-hmm. inside of the penthouse where yeah. uh, he walks up to the window and then we see his reflection, which is the monster. And then yeah. it's like, the, the monster will monster. take steps away. Yeah, and as the, uh, his like reflection sort of stays, or sort of, so, so to speak, and then the monster person walks away and then the lights in the penthouse sort of like go off as he's and i yeah i I really liked that scene that scene definitely stuck out to me a lot more just as a a nice i guess a a thematic representation for you know just this memory walking away from him in order like these uh these memories and this sort of detaching away from him so i i really appreciated the the poetic side of it i do get a little impatient in those Mm -hmm. moments because after after he cuts his tongue out, it's sort of just like, damn, like, I, I'm, I'm sort of ready for the ride to be over. And so when we're doing slow shots inside the snow, I'm kind of like tapping my foot a little bit because it's, it just feels a little bit, it, it is room to decompress after the tragedy that is, that happens in the third act. Yeah. But it, it just makes me, I don't know, I felt a little impatient, you know, watching that sort of slow landing. But I mean, I appreciate it. I like the fact that they, get to live because i'm a sucker for a happy ending but it's like Like, is it a happy ending (laughs) like it seems well not well not really i mean like happy because he's alive yeah (laughs) but he's committing to being in a relationship with his daughter by like by hypnotizing himself to forget that she's his daughter he's committing to being in a relationship with her um i yeah you saying that does yeah that does add a little bit of a different tone to it because it's like he could have because i i did i wasn't thinking he could have told her like hey get lost like this isn't gonna work out and then track down a hypnotist and been like hey i want to forget this person ever existed (laughs) and then they just go their separate ways yeah but like it is really strange that he is committing to that um Maybe it just didn't occur to him. <laughs> Maybe it's not supposed to occur to us as the audience that, like, perhaps there's another way you could deal with this. Um, maybe it's yeah. just, like, that is the power of love, you know? As as uh, great creep Woody Allen once said, <laughs> the heart wants what it wants. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> damn. Not going to touch that one. <laughs> um, yeah. Does that wrap it up for old boy i mean yeah i didn't have many other major thoughts about the ending yeah i might need to to watch this again because it just yeah Yeah, there's just so much i'm looking forward to watching again emily hasn't seen it and so we started it the other night um and she it it was pretty late we started like after 11 p.m so she fell asleep like Mm -hmm. just before he ate the octopus 
Um, okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm totally down to like finish it. That's just that's when things start getting going. <laughs> I was like, Why are you <laughs> sleeping? Open your eyes. Um, <laughs> Eating the octopus. One last thing I want to mention about this though is so obviously yeah. there's the Spike Lee remake from 2013, ten years later. However, three years later, there was a movie called Zinda, which is a Bollywood remake, which is unofficial and unauthorized. Oh. And oh, I really? encourage you to go read the Wikipedia page on this movie Zinda, Z-I-N-D-A, um, because huh. it it's so similar. It includes like someone using a hammer to pull someone's teeth out, I'm sure. Um, okay. <laughs> it, but it doesn't, it has a much like happier, uh, smoothed out ending. <laughs> I don't believe the movie includes incest at all. Um, huh, okay. so yeah, it is a much softer film. Uh, and I'm curious, I, I, I'd be curious to actually see it. That is really fascinating that, yeah, they're like, yeah, like everything about this is great, but like the, <laughs> but, uh, the, the incest thing is just like a step yeah, too we just far. Can't touch that. <laughs> yeah. Which again, takes me back to like South Korea. Just like what, I mean, yeah. Like what's the mind state and like, and what type of person, you know, is going to be fascinated with this particular grade of, of tragedy i don't know like, i feel like there's something there for a far more learned scholar of film to to, to note okay. about but so there's a movie <laughs> called all right kim ki duck terrible man terrible terrible man you could read yeah. about the uh accusations that were made against him um terrible man he died <laughs> so yeah maybe we can take comfort in that uh but he made this movie Pieta, which it is, it is very similar to the Vengeance movies, um, mm-hmm. and it also has a weird incest thing going on in it. It is, it is very disturbing, is very nihilistic, and it makes me wonder. Yeah, like, cause, cause Park Chan Wook, he is part of a, of, of a wave of filmmakers. Um, yeah, and so it is interesting that there is this wave of filmmakers who are focusing on these sort of transgressive, violent, uh, you know, stories. Yeah. Somebody just needs to just watch more of these movies and combine this thesis. Yeah. Um, but yeah. There's definitely something there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. So, sorry. No, I, yeah, there's definitely something there. Um, yeah, definitely got to read, read up more on it. I'm really fascinated with Korean history and South Korea in particular. So yeah, I'll definitely be reading more about this as we continue on. Um, but anyways, what have you been watching lately? So this past week I was in Los Angeles for our viewers who were wondering why my audio quality ducked down and was so crummy for that one episode. I was in Los Angeles. I was staying with our, at our friend Max's house and we watched a lot of movies over that week, but one that I watched that stuck out to me is a movie called Shin Godzilla. I rewatched Shin Godzilla, <laughs> and I feel like I watched a different cut because what had happened is we were sitting down to watch it. I purchased the English dub version on YouTube on accident, so I was like, okay. okay, I need to buy the Japanese original version. So I purchased the Japanese original version, and a few things, I started noticing a few things right off the bat. I feel like there was a lot less music hmm. and a lot more cuts of, uh, a lot more just like, yeah, added cuts, especially towards the middle and end of the movie. I felt like there were 
more shots from pilots inside of their cockpits as they're shooting at Godzilla. I don't know if you remember that in the from in the U.S. The version cut that you watched, but there was like, yeah, huh. yeah, I don't know. I know there is. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I just remember in those moments as they're like shooting towards the end, they do like that big barrage of like it's the tanks and artillery are all shooting at Godzilla, but there's some shots of like pilots inside their cockpit doing the actual, and I thought that was interesting that in those moments we sort of go inside and got to see what the pilots were doing. And just little details like that just help, excuse me, help flush out just, you know, the entire picture of what's happening. And yeah, I don't know. I didn't appreciate the lack of music. I think that having the soundtrack going on for most of the movie sort of helped because yeah, there were moments where I was just like, damn, I miss the music right now. The music like is so good in that movie. Having a really energetic conversation. Yeah, the music is like, I'm, I definitely missed it a lot when it was, wasn't was there. And so I just thought that was an interesting viewing experience. He definitely enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. It was a great, great screen. Was that the first time Max had seen it? All right. Yeah, it was the first time that he saw it. And yeah, I'm just going to continue to spread the gospel that is Shin Godzilla to everyone that hasn't seen it. Fucking so good, dude. That, that was... Yeah, that was the movie I watched. But also, I just wanted to give a shout out to all of the trailers that are rolling out right now. We're in the process of reopening. Quarantine is not fully, fully over. We're not fully done with COVID. But we're in America, we're getting to the point where people are getting back into the theater. And so, yeah, like the trailer for Venom 2 came out like last week. And it's a, I didn't see the first Venom, but it just it was like a silly trailer. It, it, it was kind of fun. The Green Knight trailer is out. The Green Knight looks Green Knight. amazing. I know you mentioned this. <laughs> it looks so fucking yeah, good. Yeah, like this that trailer, fucking yeah that that trailer blew me away because I hadn't watched any. I you know I was trying to go in blind, but then I was like, okay, like the trailers are coming out, movies are coming out this year. I need to watch it. And yeah, a, I don't know what a twenty four is, is is like doing, but they're doing everything fucking right as far as you know making really weird indie movies. And so, yeah, I'm excited for this indie King Arthur thing. I showed um, the trailer for The Green Knight to my brother, Coulson. And um, mm-hmm. he, as soon as it ended, he was like, I want to know everything about that world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Definitely. Just King Arthur shit, so. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're yeah. still a little, we're itching for good knight content and good medieval content. If it's weird and if it's, remixed and done in a way that's dark and cool and scary like they're doing it so i'm looking forward to that movie a lot um yeah and then also one last thing yeah marvel released like that hype trailer for all of the stuff that they're gonna put out for the rest of this year and and yeah i'm on this show i've mentioned that yeah i was jaded in the past but i i got a little emotional watching that marvel trailer it was the first time yeah yeah them showing like the clip from Endgame inside of it and the theater reaction and then just like, yeah, just the rollout of like Shang-Chi and Doctor Strange and Black Panther 2. I was just like, okay, I'm like, I'm back on board. Like, I'm not a soulless bastard. You guys, you guys want me yeah. over again. For me, it's like at the end when it says you at the movies, I was like, fuck, they fucking yeah, got yeah. me. <laughs> like, I was like, literally, yeah, yeah. I was like, kind of gonna tear up like uh and i was like i can't fucking believe that they fucking got me um but it's like yeah i used i fucking loved going to the theater and seeing these movies and like feeling like you're part of a crowd um feeling the excitement before the movie starts and it's like yeah it made me miss all that shit yeah definitely and 
yeah, it's it's made me revisit just the the Fandango page and just be like, you know what, like I'm gonna see something this weekend. I don't care if it's within the theme or within the show or whatever. I'm just gonna go see something. So I think I might do that with Wrath of Man because I just want to go see a Guy Ritchie movie in theaters. It's, Dude, it's, I was thinking, it'll be fun to watch. Honestly, I was thinking about seeing that. Our buddy Kevin was telling me he he lives like less than two blocks from <laughs> a movie theater now. So he's been like going pretty regularly, but yeah, okay. he went to go see Wrath of Man, and he, I was like, "Is it worth seeing?" And he was like, "Absolutely." <laughs> so, so yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we go <laughs> see it. Yeah, I'm down. But yeah, what have you been watching this week? Um, this week, fuck. Hold on one second. I gotta remember something <laughs> I watched this week. Um, I was just trying to remember the title. So, anyways, yeah, this week I watched. I started watching Invincible, which is. This like animated superhero show from Robert Kirkman, uh, who did Walking Dead. Yeah, like I like yeah. We've expressed similar sentiment that we are kind of over superhero shit. Um, it, it used to be a theater thing. Now it is invaded television. Yeah. So yeah, it is hard to be as. A, but yeah, I watched it because I had a bunch of friends recommending it, and because there's a lot of memes out there about the show, and I was like, I need to know what these memes are about. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm two episodes in, and it's fucking great. Like, after that first episode, I was totally sold on it. <laughs> now you see Paddington? <laughs> Oof, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my default picture at work, and I always get shit for it. Um, but yeah. Invincible, after the first episode, I was like, I'm fucking in. The cast is kind of incredible. It's ridiculous, the cast that they have for this. Stephen Young, J.K. Simmons, Sandra Oh, uh, Dazzy Beats is in it. Um, oh, goodness. John Hamm. Uh, I think Seth Rogen shows up at one point. Um, Walter Goggins. <laughs> I was sold with I was sold with Stephen Young, but I was in love with Zazie Beats, it, so I'll definitely definitely watch. Yeah, it. like the names just kept going. Like uh, uh, Gillian Anderson, or not not no Gillian Jacobs, not Gillian Anderson. Um, Gilly. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, there's so many fucking people in this show, and yeah, it's so I, like like I said, I'm only two episodes in. I haven't finished it. Not not close to finishing it, but so far it's very strong. Um, and if you think you're done with the the superhero stuff, the cape stuff, maybe maybe give Invincible a try because maybe the problem is that a lot of the superhero stuff feels feels too similar. And Invincible, it's it's different enough that it feels like it's breathing some life into the genre. Um, okay, cool. Um, also, what Definitely. I've been doing is I just started playing Resident Evil Seven, not Resident Evil Eight. Resident Evil Eight is uh. Resident Evil Eight is the new one, but I've never really gotten into the Resident Evil series, and I heard 7 was like a new jumping in point, so I started playing Resident Evil yeah. 7. Um, it is, I'm, it's really fucking good. <laughs> I'm really like, I'm playing it on easy because I'm a coward. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I was going to say, what part are you on? Uh, sh- what part am I on? I think I, I just escaped the main house. I, I did the chainsaw fight. Oh, yeah, that is so fucking good. It's really good, man. Yeah, I'm really happy you're playing that because I was terrified you'd be talking about Resident Evil 8, which I've been avoiding like the mm-hmm. play. I don't want to hear any spoilers on yeah. it because, yeah, I was away from the genre a little bit. And I remember when 7 came out, I was at the store, I was at a GameStop where I was, my best friend, not my best friend, a person I know bought the last copy. And Shit. I was like, I'm pissed at Fuck. you because you got the last <laughs> copy. 
But yeah, that game is just just fucking amazing, and I'm really happy that you're playing it because yeah, it's just gonna get better. It's one of my favorite games of recent memory. And uh, the last thing I did was I watched the 1981 film Dead and Buried. Um, Shutter is you know they brought back uh, Joe Bob Briggs to do the last drive-in, so Friday nights they'll stream they'll stream a double feature. And everyone on Twitter starts oh, cool. doing a hashtag the last drive-in and they just chat about whatever movie is playing. And it's just really fun. Um, they screened Mandy and Dead and Buried. Unfortunately, I missed Mandy, but I love that fucking movie. And okay, Dead yeah. and Buried I'd never seen before. Um, it is with Grandpa Joe from <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> And uh, okay, and <laughs> and James Farantino, who the internet hates, by the way. What the internet hates Grandpa Joe? Why they thought he was lazy? Yeah, that's a, a big that's a big iceberg. But yeah, the whole thing is like, yeah, he was just pretending to not be able to walk, and then once Charlie gets the ticket, they oh yeah, I can walk. Hey, good for him, you know. <laughs> Take it easy. He's old. There's a lot of there's a lot of hatred online for Grandpa Joe. I just just, just dive theories. into that. It's super funny. Um, <laughs> no, not even that. Just like we're just gonna look at the information given to us on on screen. <laughs> but yeah, while while Shutter is doing the last drive-in thing, I don't I don't know how long these seasons last or like, uh, you know, if it's something that um, yeah, I don't know if it's seasonal or not, but. Um, as long as they're doing it, I would I would uh, urge people to subscribe to Shutter, uh, watch some fun horror movies on a Friday night, especially you know if you're worried with things reopening, if you still want to stay home on Friday nights, throw on Shutter, watch some horror movies, and chat with people on Twitter. There is a very active community. I think they get the last drive-in at number one uh, trending in entertainment on Twitter. So it's um that's cool. It's a very committed and active community, and there's some very cool people in- involved with it. So. Yeah, Dead and Buried. I know I haven't said anything about the movie except that Grandpa Joe's in it, but uh, but uh, I, I guess this is more of a plug for Shutter uh, and more of an endorsement for that. And yeah, that's about it for me. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I just I just signed up for Shutter as well too, so I will absolutely be doing one of those soon. Yeah, Friday night, check it out, man. Sweet. Okay, cool. This has been episode forty of Vague Zone. The next movie we're gonna watch is my choice. And my choice this week is going to be a 1974 revenge film by the name of Death Wish oh, with nice. Charles Bronson. Okay. It's a movie I've never seen. It was remade in 2018 with Eli Roth and uh, Bruce Willis, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the 1974 version because I think it would be worthwhile to go back and talk about some 1974 revenge. And so, yeah, I, have you seen that? Uh, I have, yeah. Okay. But um, you cool. you Are saying you... you going back to the seventies for revenge? I I think I already know what my next move choice is going to be too. Then, okay, sweet, sounds good. Well, yeah, this has been episode forty of Vague Zone. If you would like to contact us, you can email us vaguezonepod at gmail If you have questions, comments, concerns, let us know. If you have a list or a favorite movie, please reach out to us. We would love to involve you in this ongoing film conversation let us know what you think about wrath of man shang chi doctor strange and the multiverse of madness let us know what you think about superhero movies and stuff you can tweet at us at twitter at sorry tweet at us on twitter at vague zone we're on twitter daily talking about all sorts of stuff we'll probably be live tweeting some shutter movie on friday let us know what you think about those horror movies but yeah it's been episode 40 i'm thomas i'm daniel 
We'll catch you on the next one. Oh, shit.